0: Good day. I need to practice that. Don't get offered opportunity in the states to do that very much. So, for those of you from Australia, please forgive me. I'm still a newbie. Uh, we're going to be moving, God willing, this June to uh, labor in Australia uh, from the United States, from one big country to an even bigger country. Vast, vast distances um, for our family. Uh, especially when our children were younger, uh, we would go on driving vacations because we couldn't afford otherwise. And uh, it was not uncommon for us to drive maybe some 4,500 to 5,000 kilometers or more on our vacations. Uh, A lot of them would involve diversions to various uh, battlefields where our country's civil war had been fought or maybe to some cemeteries. And my children sometimes, with an exasperated voice, would ask, Daddy, what dead relative or battlefield are we going to see today? Uh, I am a history geek. I love to read history, and especially military history, and I have quite an interest in it. And I like to dig through the mundane things, the administrative orders, the operational orders, the day-to-day logistical orders, uh, the dry, mundane stuff but it tells a lot about commanders and about their intentions and especially how they care for their troops. Now, as we look at this huge section of scripture that's before us today, we see some of that. Uh, The Lord God, if you uh, remember, is uh, leading his people by the Pillar of fire and cloud. He has organized his people uh, for warfare. He's imposing a military discipline upon them. In fact, the children of Israel are undergoing a sort of basic training or a boot camp. What have they been prior to this? Well, they have been slaves. They have a slave mentality. They don't think towards the future, they think towards the immediate. And uh, God is now in the process of changing them from slaves. To sons, He is in the process of giving them a hope, giving them a future. He has promised to them this land of Canaan that they are to go into. But it's not going to be a cakewalk. It's going to be tough. They are also going to need to be toughened up quite a bit in order to do this. And so, as we see here in uh, the book of Numbers, that God is putting his people through a sort of basic training uh, that work of basic training is one where uh, you have a soldier coming in or the new recruit, and uh, he is being shaped and molded from being a civilian and a civilian mindset and expectations and now learning to be a soldier. And uh, sometimes that can be a difficult process, and we see that here for the children of Israel in this section uh, all throughout uh, Uh, The book of Numbers, indeed, but particularly as we look at what is before us here, uh, we are seeing some of the administrative orders and some of the logistical orders and some of the just the process of changing the people into uh, troops for the Lord. Now, uh, sometimes the regulations make little sense to us when we're reading through this, all the disparate uh, things that we see in the section that's before us, how do we make uh, heads or tails of it all? When I was a chaplain in the United States Army, there was a saying, there's a right way, the wrong way, and the Army way. And uh, when I was going through my initial training, it was a bit... uh, Uh, bewildering at times, and the drill sergeant uh, sometimes would accommodate us and tell us the why, certain things. But we had to do all kinds of things, such as when we would lace our boots, the left would go over the right. And indeed, left over right tended to be a common theme uh, among things. Well, why, drill sergeant? Why do we have to do it that way? Well, it's the army way. Well, is there a reason behind this? Well, yes, there is. If we learn to pay attention to the little details, uh, we will then be able to pay attention to the big details as well. When we pay attention to these little details, sometimes uh, learning to clean our rifles a certain way and, and to uh, make sure everything is tucked in just right with our bunk and we could uh, have a coin uh, bounced on it and it, it would uh, bounce up just so, uh, all of these details were for a purpose to train us to pay attention to detail, because details, if neglected, can kill you. We've already seen that we are serving a holy God, and all the regulations so far that, that God has given, if you were with us last Sunday, and um, Andrew began the, the uh, studies here in Numbers, we saw all of these regulations, all of these commands, all of these things here, uh, that are impressing upon God's people the holiness of God, the necessity that of our entering into the worship of God in a way that would be pleasing to him. Now some of these regulations that we read here in this section in Numbers may not make sense to us, today, but God has given them to teach his people some practical lessons. So what we have before us, a rather hefty portion of the book of Numbers, and, and what a range of regulations here. We didn't read the whole of the passage here. In fact, when I last preached through the book of Numbers uh, back in the States, it, I took this particular section, and it took about nine weeks. Be okay. It, you know, it, w- w- we're going to get out uh, before Thursday. Um, <laughs> But we look here, you know, we have these commands about leprosy and confession of sin and restitution, uh, the ordeal that's uh, prescribed for women accused of adultery, the Nazarites, the seven lampstands in the tabernacle, the blessing of the priests that they were to give to the people, the the cleansing of the Levites for service and setting them apart to their tasks. The, the regulations how, about how long they could serve, when their retirement age would roll around. A Passover and of God's leading the people by the cloud by day and a column of fire by night. And then this last part with the trumpet signaling the people when they are uh, as the whole of the nation to move out on the march. Is this all just a jumble? of regulations and laws and rules that's here? Is this just kind of a, 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 you know, a tip shop of all of these things that have been put in here? Well, I want to propose before us uh, this morning that we may understand all of this here and, and grasping of these things uh, that our appreciation for Christ and his work may grow in the process. God didn't just hand over these laws to his people in a willy-nilly fashion there's a great theological orderliness in all of this uh, a purpose uh, god has told us that he is uh, their god and they are to be his people he has established his covenant his his relationship with these folks he has told them uh, what they are to know about him and about how he desires to be worshipped and just Uh, who they are and what uh, they are to expect from the living God. So here are people who have been brought out of the house of bondage, out of the house of slavery in Egypt. They've been constituted a nation and now God is giving them order and structure on how they might uh, live for him and to enjoy him uh, forever. Well, I propose uh, that uh, As we look at these things this morning, I want to look at it in three parts. First, that God is holy and he is present. We're going to take those two things together. And then God has spoken. Notice here there's a problem of a holy and omnipotent God, an omnipresent God. Uh, They're meant to learn that God is holy and he is present. He's not a faraway God. He is there in the midst of his people. He is totally other. He is separate from them. He is unlike anything or anyone (coughs) that they have known. And the point here is that this God uh, is the creator of the universe. This God is the one who has rescued and redeemed them. This God is dwelling in the midst of his people. Every Every moment of every day, they could see either the the cloud during the day or the pillar of fire at night, and they knew that God indeed was with them, that he is Emmanuel, God with us. So blessing, God is present with his people, but his presence requires purity on the part of those with whom he dwells. These people are to go to great troubles Uh, As you read through the text here on how they are to live in a manner that is pleasing to God. And and it is so intense. It is so down to the letter. It is something that you just cannot brush off. It is something that you have to be mindful about every waking moment of the day. It is something that you cannot take for granted. It is something that requires your attention to every detail. Well, with the blessing of his presence, uh, we see that there are obligations and responsibilities that have to be fulfilled by the children of Israel. It requires a purity on the part of those who are going to dwell uh, in uh, this camp because he is dwelling in their midst. And so we see all of these laws here dealing with purity and, and uh, separateness, and these laws are meant to impress upon us and impress upon them and impress upon us that we have an unsolvable problem. We have an unsolvable problem. We, we see that God is holy, and he does not dwell with that which is defiled, and For instance, the uh, regulation in Chapter 5 on dealing with people with uh, these skin disorders. Leprosy, as it often is referred to, although it's not exactly Hansen's disease, it is something having to do with an uncleanness that perhaps is communicable, and uh, these people are to be quarantined and to be put out of the camp. Because God is trying to impress upon them uh, that... uh, we in and of ourselves are unclean, that we are unholy. When we're in a state of defilement, even physical impurity constituting defilement, you may dwell in that place where God, you may not dwell in that place where God manifests his special presence. So you learn that God's holy and that the defiled cannot dwell with him. We're reminded of that in the book of Revelation, John goes out of his way to say, who will not be in heaven? Liars, adulterers, thieves, those who are defiled, will not dwell with God in heaven because he is holy. God is holy. And his design is to make his people holy. That's brought out in chapter 6 when we read the regulations establishing the the order of the Nazarites. I could not be a Nazarite because I love grape jelly. And so... uh, you know, you're not allowed to eat any, any grapes and so forth. So, thankfully, uh, the Nazarites are no longer something we have to be concerned about. Um, but these are people who are placed under a vow to be separated from the world and to be separated unto God. It's not just that they have cut themselves off from defilement, but they have now attached themselves especially to the service of God. And they would symbolize that they are under this particular vow by not cutting their hair and the type of diet that they consumed. Uh, they are to be a people who are to be living examples of what the whole of God's people are to be a people who don't live for themselves, but who live for God. And looking at uh, all of these laws here, um, what uh, we see here, uh, it, it, it sometimes is it's it's hard stuff if if you were required to put out these people who had these various skin diseases and if it was your mother or your baby son or your wife your near and dear ones this is a hard thing and these people would be banished from the camp because of the impurity of their lives now understand that this skin disorder they had did not mean that they had some sort of uh, moral uh, a problem in the sense that, that they have uh, uh, sinned against God by this, but God is using this as a living example before the people of this fact of sin, and our sin separates us from the living and true God, from fellowship with him, and we have those Uh, even in the New Testament today, who are placed outside the camp, those who have named the name of Christ but yet who will not repent of their sins and and live in open defiance of the Lord Jesus and his gracious word. And we call this church discipline, a practice that was uh, uh, carried out here in these ancient times as we read in Numbers and still uh, is to be carried out in Christ's church today. But we don't uh, embody uh, the principle of purity in, in that way anymore. But what we do have before us is a reminder that this God is in our midst. He dwells in the midst of his people by his spirit. He dwells with us and gives us continual reminders of, of his presence with us here at the Lord's table that our Lord Jesus is present with us and when we partake of these means of grace that Christ has instituted for us. We're to remember who he is and what he has done. And he is especially with us in a way that is unlike any other, any other time in the life of the church. That our Lord Jesus here is in the midst of his people. And so our Lord has condescended to dwell with us, to tabernacle amongst us as John says and we must, because of this, have a determination to remain a people committed to him, a pure people. The problem is, for these Israelites, and, and it also goes for us as well, is because we have that impurity that attaches to our lives. And there's nothing that any of us can do about this by our own efforts. We sin, sin with a capital S. It's conceived of as that inescapable feature of life. We sin by omission. We fail to do those things that God has commanded us to do. We sin by commission. We do those things that God told us, don't do this, and we do it. Uh, We are not being or doing what God requires. And we do what God forbids willfully or perhaps even unawares. But throughout this life, we sin because we are sinners by nature. We do this, and we have that awful inheritance from our first parents in their rebellion against the living and true God. There's only one born of a woman who is holy and harmless and undefiled and separate from sinners, our Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of us, if we think about this, if we're in Christ, uh, know that uh, we have uh, within us uh, no good thing. We look at the world around us, and we are deeply, deeply disturbed. We, We know that this world is wretchedly broken. We know that, indeed... If, if things were to continue on the way they go, we could expect nothing but God's righteous wrath and curse forever and ever. We have this problem. You see, all of these regulations concerning separateness, all these regulations concerning uh, their sin, is meant to impress upon these people just how enormous our problem is. You see, we, we go through life thinking that somehow we're able to uh, put things together and kind of hold it together, kind of uh, with a, we, we use duct tape in the United States for just about everything. Do you, do you use it here in Malaysia? Okay, you know what duct tape is. Okay, well, we duct tape everything together and hope it hangs in there. But uh, we cannot do this with regards to our relationship with God, no. No, our, our lives are so shot through with sin We do impure things because we're impure in our very nature. Our lives are impure. Our every sin deserves the wrath and curse of God. We deserve this separation from God. We deserve to be placed outside the camp. Now, you know, modern people today tend to think that uh, uh, these laws of ritual purity are silly. They're they're just some ancient uh, uh, primitive thinking. Uh, What do these outward physical things like these skin diseases and bodily discharges have anything to do with the question of what is good and, and what is evil? Purity is doing good things. Impurity is doing bad things. But our culture's view of purity is very superficial. Our problem is much deeper than the sum of all of these evil acts most of which, in any case, go largely unnoticed by us. We, we give ourselves a pass so many times. We excuse our own sin. We say, well, it's really not all that bad. The Bible is always reminding us that our problem is this that we are sinners by nature. Our hearts are unclean, and that's why we do so much that is wrong and we fail to do much that is right. And is why no one in all of these thousands of years has been able to eradicate sin from his or her life, no matter how much effort we may devote to this attempt. The scripture says the leopard cannot change his spots or the Ethiopian his skin. This is what this system of ceremonial uh, purity and impurity is devised to teach these Israelites Isaiah puts it this way, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. The answer does not lie within us. And because of this, our moral condition before this God of the Bible places salvation outside of ourselves. That we can only be made bright with this God, not by our own works of righteousness, which we might do. No, we have to find what is called an alien righteousness, not alien UFOs, one that is totally different from us. We must be justified, not by ourselves, but by God undertaking the task himself. Try as they might, these Israelites have to over and 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 and, on infinitum cleanse themselves, offer these sacrifices. The rivers of blood to be shed for these sacrifices and not a drop of it could atone for their sins. No. There has to be another answer. There has to be another way. We must be holy. We must be in right fellowship with God. We can't do it in and of ourselves. We have nothing within us, nothing good to bring before God, nothing to uh, efface and erase that, that whole um, cosmic treason of which we are guilty In order to be in fellowship with this God, in order to be right with him, in order to enjoy his nearness, we have to be holy. And we are not. We are not. That's at the root of man's problem. In fact, if you want a fundamental explanation of human history, there you are. This explains why divine judgment rests upon this world and why so much misery is constantly being visited upon us. This world rings with the divine judgment of man's unholiness of life. This holy God and unholy man, that explains to us first and foremost In the Bible, we find front and center this issue of the forgiveness of sins. That's why, that's why the Lord is impressing this fact upon these people to show them the utter futility of their efforts and that all in all, the hope that they would have has to be centered upon the Lord God Himself. It is only through Jesus Christ, as He is offered to us in the gospel, that we may know the forgiveness of sins, the cleansing of our unrighteousness, the bringing about of true fellowship uh, with our Father, to know that blessing that the Uh, sons of Aaron are called upon to bless the people with. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. Not with wrath, but with loving favor. It is only by the act of God that would make us right with him. That is why we see all of these laws and all these regulations as 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 strange as they may be. They have one goal and one purpose to point them to Christ. Oh, this is a hope that, that they don't quite understand as yet and will be will not be understanding this for hundreds of years. But by faith they trust in this God and they know that this God will provide for us a Savior. Another thing as we look at the passage before us is that God has spoken. Uh, God's command rules this community. He has said, folks, this is how it's going to be. And Moses goes out of his way to remind us that everything he has spoken to Israel, the sons of Israel did. Notice this pattern here. If you go through this, God said it. They do it. And the people of Israel, chapter 5, verse 4, the people of Israel did so and put them outside the camp. As the Lord said to Moses, so the people of Israel did. Their own mothers and fathers, their own sisters and brothers, their own sons and daughters, their own husbands and wives, God said, do it. And they did it. it. used to be a bumper sticker in the States a number of years ago. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Well, you should take the exacto knife and cut out that middle part. God said it, that settles it. You see, God's word and his commands and this truth does not depend upon our believing it. It depends only on this, that God has said it, and that's how it is. And so the people of Israel move out on the march. They strike camp when the column of the cloud moves out uh, or the pillar of fire. They, they have to camp in a place where it rests. It might be for a night. It might be for a couple of days. It might be for months. But when that column moves, they move, and these silver trumpets sound when the column of uh, cloud moves, and people listen to the signal, and they, they pull up stakes, they strike their tents, they load up head out. And follow wherever the column of cloud goes. Inconvenient? Yes. Yes. You know, if you've ever lived out of your suitcase for very long and going from place to place, I don't see how these guys who, you know, they call them road warriors, these businessmen are constantly on the move. I don't see how they do this. Well, here are the children of Israel. Everything they've got is what they carry with them. And they settle down and, oh, we can rest. And, oh, there goes the... Column of the cloud again. Well, let's pick up and move. When God directs, they follow. God is training his people to look to him because he gives the marching orders. He leads, we follow. Do you live by the book? Do, even when this book asks you to do something that goes against your desires, against your comfort, against your convenience, Uh, that you question in your mind, Lord, where are you taking me? Is it going to be safe? Will I suffer loss? Will I feel pain? You have to be careful sometimes what you pray. You know, my wife and I had prayed, Lord, raise up laborers unto the harvest. And little did we know that we were some of those laborers. As God's people, we live by the book. Because God has spoken. He speaks. We do. Well, in looking all of, at all of this, you might say, well, what about us on this side of the cross? You know, we, we don't have all these sacrifices anymore. We don't have the tabernacle. We don't have these Nazarites going about. We might have some long-haired folks out there, but they're not under a Nazarite vow. The reason is all of these ceremonial things were fulfilled in Christ Jesus, that all these things in the, in the Old Testament were types. If you ever worked with a, a word processing program, now Word doesn't do this much anymore, but you, now I'm going to date myself, if you go back to Word 6.0 when it's in DOS, okay, and when you're, you're, you're putting together something and, and maybe you want to put in a graph or a picture and you don't have that file ready yet, you could put in a placeholder. You know, it was kind of this line thing with an X in it and there it was. And then you could just kind of do the layout around it. These ceremonies, these types are a placeholder in a sense for that which is perfect to come. Yes, there are reminders to God's people of their inadequacy and that all the adequacy is going to be found in God. And it is going to come, but it shall indeed come. And so with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, all of these things, the, the sacrifices, the type of Nazarite vows, and all these other things that we'll encounter here in, in Numbers have gone by the boards. Why? Because Jesus Christ has fulfilled these things. They all pointed to him. He has come. He has been that spotless lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. He has come and fulfilled all these things and filled up all of these things with the meaning that they had and was, in a sense, longing for, for that fulfillment. They've been fulfilled in Christ Jesus well, you may say, "Well, okay, they, they've been fulfilled. So why are we bothering reading about them?" Well, you never know where you are until you know where you've been, and you cannot appreciate Christ until you see all of these things pointing to Him, telling us something about Him and His work, because then we will begin to appreciate who He is and what he has come to do. So let me put in a plug for the study of the Old Testament. History. i got to say that. I'm a historian. See, with the coming of Messiah, and especially in his sufferings and death and resurrection and ascension, all of these things have been filled up to the brim and are overflowing. The message to the writer, of, to the Hebrews, is that Christ has indeed come to complete that to which the Old Testament sacrifices looked forward in time. Hebrews seven twenty six 26 through 28 says, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. So it is highly appropriate for us, even necessary, to grow in this grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ by studying what these sacrifices mean, what these regulations all point to, they're inadequate in and of themselves. They were never meant to take away sin. They couldn't do it, but they pointed to someone who was to come. They're all meant to teach God's people about who He is, about sin, about holiness. So you cannot understand Christ apart from understanding these Old Testament sacrifices and these regulations and these laws. You see, Jesus came in a context. And this is the context in which he has come. In fact, on that first Sunday afternoon, he is walking with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and they don't, un- they don't see who he is. And, he- and they- they're-, they're totally blown away by what has happened uh, to Jesus and this whole resurrection thing. They, they just cannot get their heads around this. And he says, "Oh, foolish of heart and slow to believe. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer and die and be buried and to be raised again? And so, beginning with Moses and all the Old Testament scriptures, he opens up for them, what a Bible study that would be that they all point to him. when they sat down at bread with him. And he reveals himself to them and then then disappears. He said, did not our hearts burn within us when we were with him on the road? All of these things are yea and amen in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, The Lord would teach us about himself in this passage. Listen to what he has to say. Pray, Lord, I may not understand all of this and it may be befuddling to me, but Lord, you want to teach me something about yourself. Lord, speak and give me ears to hear and heart to believe and a mind to grasp these things. And hands and feet swift to do your will. Amen and amen. Let's pray. Gracious Father, all of these things have been answered in Christ. And we draw near to your table now. Oh, Lord, that you would draw near to us. By all rights, we don't deserve to come. We don't deserve to be here because you sit down to eat with your friends, with your family. But we who are once far off have now been brought near by the blood of Jesus, by his once for all, offering up of himself for us. As we come now to this table, Lord, oh, let our hearts rejoice in him that we might taste and see that you, Lord, are good. We ask it, Jesus, in your name. Amen.